Only on Sports Radio 92.7 FM WFNZ. Straight fire. This is the Wesson Walker Show. Even the crowd knows what's coming next. I have a bunch of questions for everyone to lead off. The equipment manager, the producer, the renaissance man, Josh Fitty Marlowe, he loaded up the bus. We got a lot to get to immediately. And then... We have even more after that. We're going to talk about the Carolina Panthers with Frank Reich. He'll be speaking tomorrow. I actually thought he was speaking today, but he's going to be speaking tomorrow during media availability. So we'll get some of those comments and thoughts and everything that he has to say and bring you that audio. But we will ask a question about Frank Reich and how he stacks up against the other coaches in the NFC. We'll get to that in just a moment. We have a packed campus corner SEC, uh, SEC schedule conversation. Eli Drinkwood's comments, which are interesting. But how his brother saves lives and he's not getting paid as much as some of these athletes through NIL. But Eli Drinkwitz is making more money than his brother who saves lives. We'll get to that in a moment <laughs> as well. But I had a question, too, because we've got a lot of texts coming in through the Garage Door Guru text line. 704, good interview, Willie. Big Cat Dan, awesome interview. Go Braves. People were really happy with John Smoltz at the Charlotte Touchdown Club. Stopping by with Willie P, filling in for Jeff Rickard. They had an awesome conversation back and forth. And Fiddy was saying how much he loved John Smoltz. Mm -hmm. That he's a Mets fan. And he still loves John Smoltz. And man, the approval rating on John, making that transition from player to immediate analyst, everybody loved him in his first year. And it got me thinking, who are some of those guys that got a higher approval rating or got the highest as much as you possibly could get immediately leaving the playing days, going into the analyst chair? And you got a couple of people in mind, but John Smoltz is up there, man. People love that guy. Fiddy, you can speak more to it because you're the bigger baseball fan of us three nowadays. John Smoltz is, is he the best? color analyst in all of baseball right now a lot of people think so yeah i'd definitely say so of all of all the major crews right like like when ron's on tbs he's not bad but he's not as good as when he's on when he's in the sny booth Sunday night baseball booth with david Cohn and eduardo perez is a joke it's not good i, I was interested in what you were going to say about so, eduardo perez you know smoltz was put like almost in an impossible position trying to be the next voice of baseball on fox with tim mccarver gone and I, I feel like he has transitioned and fit that role very nicely. Who do you think, Wes? Because Tony Romo is the guy a lot of people are going to text in with. And you're a big Tony Romo fan. Yeah, I do like Tony Romo a lot. I feel like he he brings a lot of knowledge as far as I like his predictions. Some people don't, but I like when he's out there telling you what's going to happen and then it happens. I'm okay with that. But as far as just some of my favorites, um, I mean, I like Kirk Herbstreet on college football. I think he's always been pretty good. He has been, but I'm even more looking for, like, the players to immediately transition because Kirk You're saying immediately? Yeah. Okay. Just, I mean, they have the job because you just think about how good somebody is going to be. Tony Romo got that job. I would argue Greg Olson, but the thing about Greg that's a little bit different than everybody else, Greg Olson put a lot of work in before he eventually got this job Yeah, because he was playing and he was going to the combine, working for the NFL network, having different spots, I think with certainly Fox, but also maybe even CBS while he was still playing in the league. And remember, we had this conversation in Charlotte, is the dude going to leave the Carolina Panthers for that job? But eventually he went to Seattle for the one season and then it was just a nice transition. He put the work in Tony Romo. Everybody loves him. He's crazy. 
He's still crazy. And now I feel like that effect has kind of waned on people. Yeah. I for me it has. I just don't want him talking. I just don't want him mm. talking over Jim Nance all the time. Because you're saying game guys, like not studio analysts, just straight game guys. Well, yeah, and you can go studio analyst too if yeah. you want. I'm not I'm not gonna confine you to one box here, Wes. I mean, <laughs> game guys, I mean, I love Troy Aikman. I'm just Troy. gonna do the immediate transition. Yeah. Troy Aikman's great. Yeah, right? he's one of my favorites. And he's been doing it for a long time. Buck and Aikman, I think they're kind of polarizing, but Phil a lot Sims. of Phil Sims, well, he he got like the boot that. for Tony Romo. <laughs> he did, but I liked him when, when he was on there. This might be a hot take. Uh-huh. I like old Fox Chris Collinsworth better than NBC tonight football Chris Collinsworth. I don't hate Chris Collinsworth as much as everybody else. How? He's awful. I don't think he's awful. He references I- his PFF Every he time he talks about a certain player. <laughs> He's a businessman. <laughs> That's why he does it. You are right about that, though. He does go to PFF all the time, which, hell, I mean, we reference PFF a decent amount, too. And we don't get any money for it. We have zero money for it. All right, let's get to some of the text messages. But first, let's pull up to the scene, open up the doors. Fiddy, go ahead and let us off the bus. We look good getting off the bus. I got something to say. I mean, we got an influx of Greg Olson mentions. I think he's great. I like him better than y'all two do. I think he's very good at all of this. Don't give me the eye roll. You don't think he's that amazing. I think Greg Olson is very good. Kevin Burkhart is not a good play-by-play guy. Well, then why can't we isolate Greg Olson and just talk about how good he is? Because I have to listen to Kevin Burkhart. I don't think he sets him up well. That's (laughs) that's. And look, I mean, like, that's your job as host to set everyone else up to make everyone sound good. Mm -hmm. I think he holds Greg Olson back. If he was with the Jim Nance, an Ian Eagle, uh, a Joe Buck, I think Greg Olson would be outstanding. We got a first-time text, at least on this text line. 704 said the Manning cast is really entertaining on Monday Night Football. I enjoy that as well. I I do, too. And that's such a different thing altogether. You have something informal that they just decided. People want Peyton Manning to do this so badly. And Peyton just wants to continue to rack up money doing the endorsements and just doing whatever he wants to. It's why he's not coaching. It's why he doesn't have any obligation. Even in the Manning cast, he takes weekly breaks breaks where you'll have two or three weeks before he hops back on another Monday night football game. Peyton Manning is living the quintessential life as a color analyst. Unless you just want to be around it all the time, that's fine. But Peyton gets to pick and choose when he hops on a game. And he's like turning down tons of money and then just deciding to do this while still making a boatload, and he gets to pick and choose his spots. Payton's got this thing figured out a lot better than a lot of other people. Yeah, well, I mean, especially when you're already rich as hell. I mean, I think he looks at it like we would look at <laughs> right. some gigs that we might be asked to do Straight that we might not want to do. We might say, hey, yeah, it's not really worth the money today. And for Eli, I mean, um, for Peyton, I think it might be some games where he, he's like, this is a dog. I don't want to do it. I'm going to chill. I'm going to go to the Bahamas, or I'm going to go somewhere else where people with his kind of money can Um, go when they don't want to do work. um, Panther Bo has a great one a lot of people don't mention. I do think Robbie Hummel is very good. And when you had Jason Benetti, former Charlotte uh, color analyst, or or even play-by-play announcer, by the way, with Charlotte Knights doing some work as well. So Jason Benetti and Robbie Hummel, when those two guys were together, they were fantastic. So even if it took Robbie Hummel... 
12 years to get out of the Purdue basketball program. Once he made that transition to the color analyst chair, I do think Robbie Hamill or Robbie Hummel, excuse me, did a great job. Jay Reds wrote in, hey guys, the Inside the NBA show with Shaq, Ernie, Kenny, and Chuck. Great television right there. Again, Jay Reds wrote that one in. Shaq was the last one to make his debut on that. He was the last one to come over. Polarizing because they're not going to give you a whole lot of basketball knowledge, but what they're going to do is be entertaining as hell. And I think that is the draw watching inside the NBA. I think Kenny does. I think Kenny does the best as far as giving you hardcore basketball, but altogether the chemistry that they have, it makes it a great show. Uh, back in college, I used mm-hmm. to stay up until inside the NBA came on and watch it. I don't do it as much anymore, but to me, it's still my. I would say favorite studio show uh, pre and post game. It's better than what ESPN does. And no I mean, doubt. you're talking about some guys that I really like. I love Jalen Rose. Part yeah. of that is my bias just because of how much I loved him as an Indiana Pacer fan a little bit growing up too. Fab Five, all yeah. of that. But inside the inside the NBA is really entertaining. I was going to nerd out on the inside the NBA. Their producer of 20 plus years, he retired after Game Seven on Monday night. Oh, that's right. They did an awesome tribute to him. So, I forgot about that. You know, there could be a change in that show moving forward. Kind of like whenever I'm not in the studio with you guys, it's a different dynamic. Well, mm-hmm. and you might not be in the studio permanently because there is the PA position open for North Carolina. Nice. UNC PA. And <laughs> that was a dude. That was a radio transition. Well, I'm just that telling you. Nice. I'm just saying. I could see Fitty deciding to you know, just kind of sneak his way out, Homer Simpson style, going into the bushes, and then on the other side of those bushes, it's the UNC PA position. Is this something that you are secretly applying to, Fitty, and you're going to leave us forever? That answer is a no. I'm not professional enough mm. to be the the PA announcer of any of the teams that I am emotionally invested in. And also, I'd have to quit going to NASCAR races, and I couldn't do my job with the voice oh. that I still have today. You would have to call out sick big time <laughs> the next two days as soon as I, you attended the I NASCAR race. I think it's race. Taylor May for you. As soon as I saw it, I said, Fitty needs to apply for this, and I think your passion would be great. You would just have to make sure that you have somebody beside you that knows you, probably flounder, beside you in the booth, that knows what your reaction is going to be, talk to you before you say what you really want to say, and then make sure that he handles the mic on and off button so that he can smash it in enough time for you not to lose said job. Yeah, Fiddy, I don't think he is allowed control over his on and off button because it'll just never go off. It'll just be on. It'll be on during commercial breaks. Because that's a job that if you're good at it, you can do it as long as you want to. Fiddy, you could be up there until you're in your 60s, 70s. Hell, you could die on the mic if you want to, if you go in there and do it good. Well, and the thing is, being a PA announcer, when you're talking about being as professional as possible in front of everyone. The only time that you get to be a little saucy is when we talk about Big Pat with Charlotte. And and a lot of PA announcers do this as well. But when you announce your team, it's all emphasized. It's all hyped. You gas it up. And then somebody comes down the court and Jimmy Butler. <laughs> I was once a uh, PA announcer. I could see that. I could see you more. At Charlotte as the, Country Day High School. I could see you as the MC of something. I yeah. did. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you're the MC. At you want to know a funny story why I got really petty? On the mic? Yes. For a high school football game? Yep, so I did. Yes, of course, Wes. Let's hear it. <laughs> so we played this one school. Um, I forgot who it was, and they had this kid on their team. And it's not like this is college, and they give you the phonetic spelling where you can see exactly how to say their name so it was this kid his name was really hard and I think I messed it up a couple of times and so uh, 
what happened? Did I start calling? Their fans, when I finally said it right, and they were the opponents, they had the nerve, like, the, and then the parents at halftime kept trying to come up and tell me how to say his name, and it was very aggravating. So then when I said his name right, they had the nerve to get up and start standing and clapping. This is not anything unusual, by the way. Yes, they had the nerve to get up and start standing and clapping. So you know what I did? What's that? For the rest of the game, he was number 34 when he carried the ball. And then when he he fumbled, I said his name crystal clear for the stadium to hear that he was the one that fumbled. Um, You can't comment on Fiddy's <laughs> lack of professionalism if you are going to be clowning high schoolers Yeah, for I was tight about that, man. Look, no. don't come up in there and then try to <laughs> belittle me. Wes is in the right, though. High school parents are the worst parents at sporting events We're going to take it out of the, the kids. Yep. Hell yes. yeah. You get the smoke. Have better parents. Yep. <laughs> oh, buddy. <laughs> Thank you, Fiddy. Please rest your that's voice. Why, that's my tag team partner right there. Um, speaking of tag team partners, we did have one text entry. Booker T. Is Booker T a good analyst? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's great. Booker T, I've only watched, I can't even tell you. He gets in there Probably and then three. he's talking like this. Mm-hmm. And then he says, yeah, you know, and I think it's a really good, yeah, Booker T's done. Oh, uh, QC Sam, <laughs> don't don't encourage Wes. QC Sam said Wes is a legend for that. You stop it. Thank you. Well, we Thank to, you. We need to be out here looking out for Charlotte Thank High you. School Thank you. Don't come athletes. up here telling me how to do my doggone job. Okay, uh, final question, and then we can move on to the next <laughs> segment. Because if Fiddy has a lot of passion, maybe a little too much passion to be the PA announcer, maybe he could be Ramsey, and he could be an actual mascot for yes. North Carolina. Because we do know about the Nuggets mascot. Mm-hmm. And his salary was reported. I believe we've had this conversation a while back. But the Nuggets mascot makes $625,000 annually. Six twenty five. Now, they ask a lot of him. This is not something where you can just throw on the suit and do everything he does. We're talking about doing flips. We're talking about if you're scared of heights, then you can't get on the ladder he gets on and then shoot behind your head. Granny shot half court attempts. But he is making six hundred twenty-five thousand. It so, isn't too much they couldn't ask me to do for six twenty-five. <laughs> but could you do a couple backflips? I'd, you I'd go get some lessons. <laughs> I'd get good at it to All get right. that six twenty. What mascot job are you applying for if you could? Nana's so, baby, Sourdough Sam, and I just learned that that's his name, Sourdough so, Sam. Why Sourdough Sam? Because you know Sourdough, I guess, is a big thing out there in the Bay. Um, because what, remember Hardy's when they would have their sourdough. No, no, no. Uh, San Francisco. Oh, remember out there when the they would have their um, their Frisco Hardy's would have their Frisco burger and Frisco breakfast sandwich, and it was on sourdough. That's a, uh, <laughs> underrated. That's a hit right there. That that's a drop when he said. Uh, Frisco melts from Steak and yeah. Shake, but also the Frisco burgers that yeah. Hardy's has. Yeah. They're expensive, but they load that sandwich up. Yeah. Underrated sandwich. Yeah, so it's on sourdough, and they call it the Frisco. All so, right. Yeah. Give me your Hardy's takes, and I want to know what mascot Ooh. you would want to be for $600,000 a year. It's Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. How does Frank Reich stack up against other coaches in the NFC? We'll talk about that coming up next on Wesson Walker. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only 
at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Soccer is back this Wednesday, 7 p.m. as Charlotte FC face Philadelphia Union. You can hear it on the Charlotte FC radio network brought to you in part by Price Brothers, where our pursuit of excellence creates peace of mind for your family. Wesson Walker off and rolling sports radio 92.7 WFNZ. We left, left you with a couple of different teases. What mascot would you like to be? What is your favorite Hardy's food item? And Frank Reich, how does he stack up against the other coaches in the NFC? It was a loaded question. I think it was overwhelming. I apologize for having too many teases. I don't even know how we're going to please all of them, yeah. but we're going to try, okay? I'm smoking you during the break, by the way. I just want to let you know that. You're smoking Patty me. West is in the building. You How are you smoking me? Because I found something to debunk what you just said. About what? About the 49ers. Are we about to have a 49ers conversation too after I had no, three No, I, I said in the break. Okay. When we go to break. Okay. I just wanted to be petty on air real quick. Yeah, I know. I, people don't get <laughs> No, the people need some context. We had some Nick Mullins talk. We yeah. had some Brock Purdy talk, but that's yeah. fine. I'll, let's try to please all of the teases here. Let's do it. Teddy wrote in, Hardy's chicken fingers back in the day used to be the bomb. 100% true. I disagree. No, nah, they're chicken tenders. I thought they were very salty. I was very excited about their chicken tenders because of the texture, mm-hmm. but they were very salty. The light the light breaded way is, to, is the way to go. Okay. Love the light breading, and that's exactly what Hardy's Who remembers Hardy's fried chicken, though? I remember their sandwiches. Yeah, you they had their fried, fried chicken for They were while. good. They were good. The pro- They just... Had so much on their sandwiches. Those things were monsters. The thick burgers, though, are legendary. So good. The commercials, I remember feeling like it was a rated R commercial anytime that they would show some of the women. Yeah, when they had the girls. I forgot what her name was. I was like, I remember. I was in fourth and fifth grade, and I was like, anytime it came on, we'd watch. We'd watch some benign show. That commercial would come on, and mom would have to change it real quick. Mm-hmm. Like, no, mom, let's go back. I want to watch Hardee's. <laughs> I'm hungry. Let's go there and get some chicken tenders. Uh, 704-570-9610, NASCAR Brad said, happy hump day, guys. We appreciate you, NASCAR Brad. You need to help your boy out. You think Brad's voice sounds a lot like yours, Fitty, even two days after the NASCAR event that took place Monday because of the rain out? Brad was there three hours longer and had more alcohol than I had. I'm going <laughs> to venture... He sounds worse. He texted me yesterday at 1030. It was like, bro, I hit a wall. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I think we all did. That's okay. so bad when you get those type of hangovers. I've only had a couple of those in my life, but they are debilitating. Well, the problem, you might not even have a hangover. So you might have a hangover the next day. And then you're just really tired and you're still feeling the after effects. Two days after where your voice hasn't come back. But now we're on, I guess we're on day two of mm-hmm. the after effect. Right? I mean, I guess you had the hangover after the day for Fiddy. And then here we are two days after, where he didn't give his voice a rest at all yesterday. Because he did Charlotte Sports Today. He did Wes and Walker. And then he did the Four Corners podcast. Yeah. Is that the pod you did? And you said it just gave out in the middle of your <laughs> You know recording? he didn't do any of the maintenance stuff we told him to do. There was no tea. Zero. Cough drops, any of that. How many Cokes did you drink to soothe your throat? <laughs> I actually actually went with Sprite, so give me a little bit of credit. Okay. Um, Ginger ale, I guess. But that's not more for throat. That's more for stomach. I mean, I did drink a lot of water, but yeah, last night, mid-pod, it just like it just went out mid-sentence. Mm-hmm. I could see it. 
because it's happened a couple of times in the last two days. And you still, you trucked on through, visit to the mound. You did not want your airtime taken away. And we still have Fiddy's favorites for you, so you're still going to have plenty of airtime. And a foul line trip. Oh, you do have a foul line trip. We'll get to both of those. You have one, too, Wes, in just a moment. So, uh, yeah, we got a lot to get to today. I did want to read Rev Kev's text message. Early 90s Rev Kev, he went nuts over the gravy biscuit at Hardee's, and I would throw those hash browns in there, too. And then uh, Mike from Biscuits and gravy. That's the old head breakfast. Yeah. Did you call them gravy biscuits or biscuits and gravy? Biscuits and gravy. Like they called them on a commercial. I do too. But growing up in Catawba County, a lot of people would call them gravy biscuits. Mm. Is this a thing for people? No. Because I call them biscuits and gravy as well. It's biscuits and gravy. There are people. Well, isn't Bojangles gravy biscuits? Isn't that what they they don't have those? I thought they used to. No, they do. I've never known Bojangles. I'll look. All right. I've never known Bojangles to have biscuits and gravy. All right. We can do some more fast food conversation. Let's get to the Frank Wright conversation as well. (laughs) So if you look at the NFC, I think it's pretty clearly worse than the AFC. And that's why part of us thinks that Carolina can actually reach the postseason as soon as year one of Bryce Young starting at quarterback for Carolina. And especially if you look at the division, I don't think there's really all that much of a debate. Maybe Arthur Smith, but not right now as far as who is the best coach in the division. Frank Reich has a winning record. They just didn't get to the postseason last year because it went horribly wrong everywhere. And then two years ago, yes, they choked at the end of the season, but I put that more on Carson Wentz just being truly awful. Not only against the Raiders, but also against Jacksonville. Both of those games at the end of his season with the Colts. I think Frank Reich is pretty clearly the best coach in the division here, Wes. What say you when you evaluate the NFC South? Yeah, there's no question about it. Dennis Allen, we saw him flounder with the Raiders his first go-round. Uh, we've yet to see what Arthur Smith's potential is going to be. He's still getting things going in Atlanta. Todd Bowles, I mean, he did have Tom Brady, so we're going to really see what his coaching chops are. And he failed the first time around with the Jets, so... I would go with Frank Reich because he had the most success in his previous spot of the other ones. And then Arthur Smith, as I said, he's just getting going. He's just starting to write his story. So if you look at some of the best coaches in the entire conference, not just the division, but the entire conference, I would put Sean McVay up there. You'd still put Kyle Shanahan and Sean McVay up there, right? If you just go with the NFC. Okay. Mm -hmm. So both of them, I'd even go Pete Carroll. Pete yes. Carroll, Pete Carroll still, no doubt about but it. people are always weird about the Pete Carroll stuff, but Pete Carroll is up there in the NFC South. We'll go Frank Reich in the NFC North. Is there anybody that speaks to you first and foremost? Is Matt LaFleur going to get quote exposed <laughs> without Aaron Rodgers or, you know, Dan Campbell? I mean, are we a little ahead on Detroit with how great Dan Campbell is? And then you have Philadelphia, yeah. Brian Dable with New York too. I think those guys you would put above Nick. Yeah. Sirianni. I think Dan Campbell's got to solidify himself in year two, get the Lions to the playoffs to really show that he's a guy that's going to be there for the long haul. As you said, LaFleur, we're going to see. With Jordan Love, he's got a lot to prove there. So, And then the other coaches are fairly new. So I'd probably go with right now the best coach in that division as Minnesota's coach. Kevin O'Connell. Yes, Kevin O'Connell. I think Frank Reich is probably a top five coach in the NFC. Because if you go to Dallas – You might look at their success in the regular season, but is anybody putting Mike McCarthy top five? Like, do you feel good about Mike McCarthy? Even if you don't necessarily respect him as a man, yeah, he's got a Super Bowl championship. I think that has to stand for something. And back to back, twelve win years. Yeah, at the most pressured. And I mean, you can say what you will, but Aaron Rodgers hasn't gotten a ring since he left Mike McCarthy either. 
I mean, I guess that's true. I don't, for some reason, it just doesn't feel right to put Mike McCarthy. It's not like the the big husky. No, it's not that. It's just, (laughs) we can see clearly he's worked with very talented teams. And yes, I guess they get there, but there are some really baffling in game decisions Mike McCarthy makes all of the time. So for me, I don't know if I'd have him top five, but if you're saying at the expense of Frank Reich, who, yeah, hasn't achieved a ton, then that's fair. I already go Brian Dable. I think he did a great job with the Giants. I have no problem, even after one year, I have no problem saying Brian Dable is a top five coach in the NFC. That's problematic. I have Nick Sirianni in the top five. After two years with Philadelphia, getting to the Super Bowl this past season, no problem putting Nick Sirianni in the top five. If we want to go with the NFC West, that's where you put Kyle Shanahan. That's where you put Sean McVay and then Pete Carroll's history. So I guess with those top five, Frank Reich is just on the outside. So you're probably talking about six or seven, depending on how you view Mike McCarthy. But I've got him probably around six. That's what I've got. Is that okay? Is that a list that I didn't realize we're going to do rank radio? Yeah, I mean, that's pretty bad, to be honest. The fact that, yeah, I would have to agree with Fiddy because with Mike McCarthy, Frank Wright did fail and he was fired. So I think there's something to be said for that there. No matter what the circumstances were, you did not complete the mission. You were fired. And also Dayball's done it one year. Like it's and then look, if he does it this year with that schedule, seven mm -hmm. of the first 10 on the road, put some respect on his name. It's one year. And then, like, with Nick Sirianni, like, I know you got to the Super Bowl and all that. You've also got the second-best roster in the NFC and maybe uh, in the league. But if we're going to do that, then we got to do this with McCarthy because of that right. roster. Right, because, yeah, because football, though, man, I can't – you can't really play the roster card because those coaches do help build those players and help develop those players, and they help build those rosters, I should say. So, I in football, it's a little bit different where you're like, oh, well, it's not like – you know, they had a, a Hall of Fame coach that just retired and they inherited a great team. Nick Sirianni did come into last season. The jury was out on Jalen Hurts. They had signed A.J. Brown. Nobody knew who that, how that was going to work out. That defense didn't have the reputation it had. So, no, I, I can't take anything away from Sirianni, even though I can't stand him and his antics on the sideline. But – uh, he did develop Jalen Hurts into an Which MVP candidate. That's that's the yeah, point. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So, yeah, he he, he gets credit. So, your top five, because I have McVay, Shanahan, Sirianni, McCarthy, Carroll. I don't have McCarthy in there. I've got Brian Dable in there. Yeah. I'm just early on him, and yeah. that's fine. Like that, I'm not I'm not angry at y'all's take on him <laughs> needing to do more. Like I get it, but yeah. I'm just telling you right now, I have no problem. Yeah, I gotta hopping respect on the Dable man's bandwagon. Rank. I have no problem hopping on the Brian Dable bandwagon yeah. with what he was able to do with the Giants, and they got help this year. And the thing about Sirianni and McCarthy, I mean, this guy just won the division in Sirianni twice when Jalen Hurts had big old question marks. No, he won the NFC East in 2021, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, Is that no. not true? No, Dallas won it. The year before. That's what I'm saying. So you got to give McCarthy Fair his enough, credit, too, because Dallas has been successful since he's been there. So it's not like they've been middling or losing. They've been successful under his stewardship. Yeah, it has the main thing with Dallas right there, first, second in the NFC. And then it doesn't matter what schedule you click on. So I apologize. I still think with Eagles, being able to develop Jalen Hurts the way they did and then also adding some t- different pieces to that yeah. roster. I think what Philadelphia Nick Sirianni was able to do, that's why I would put him in the top five. Regardless, if we get back to the spirit of the question, Frank Reich is certainly in the top half. Here he is, what, top seven, whatever you want to put, maybe approaching top five status. And now as we talk about some of the first-year coaches that you have in the entire NFL, I think a legitimate question here is, is he the guy best set up for success in year one with their new team? 
because you have a number one quarterback now in Bryce Young. You at least hope he's that guy, but you cleaned your slate. You're not doing anything with bridge quarterbacks anymore that Carolina has been doing ever since Cam Newton. Is there another first-year head coach that you see better set up for success than what Frank Reich has here in Carolina with all of this? And if even we can go with how weak the NFC is. Is there another name that comes to mind when we do that? No, I would have to agree with you. I think especially getting a guy as highly as I think of Bryce Young, I would have to say he does come into an advantageous situation when you talk about their they're fairly good in the trenches, and that's always important when you're starting things off as well. So he's got the quarterback. They're fairly good in the trenches on both sides. Uh, skill talent isn't ideal at this point, but still for a first-year coach, I think there's a lot there for him to be successful with. What do you think, Fitty? Do you think Frank Reich is best set up for success out of all the first-time head coaches with their teams? Yeah, I think so. Just because, like... Russ has washed, right, in Denver. Like, 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 if Russ didn't look as bad as he did last year, I would say maybe Sean Payton and Denver is is in a good enough position. But I, I, I don't know. I, I, I just like the staff he's put around. You look at some of the other coaches around the league. I, I feel like, I feel like it's Frank Reich because I asked. That was the question I wrote down in the rundown. So yeah, that that, <laughs> that answer is yes to my own question. <laughs> I do think Russ is going to bounce back this year, though. He really? lost a bunch of weight. Yeah, he looks he looks good, and I think Sean Payton's going to get him right. Well, but but it's funny though, right? Because here we are talking about people worried about Bryce Young and how little he weighs. The comparison is to Russell Wilson, Mister Unlimited. Hmm. Except that Mister Unlimited does have the weight and the stockiness to it. Yeah, but if you lose the weight, then you lose that advantage. So I don't know if this is I don't know, man. I mean, losing weight. I don't know if that's going to help Russell Wilson and the problems that we saw from him. Well, last the two year. pictures side by side that I saw of him, I mean, he looks like he's probably dropped about 15. I mean, he's getting back to looking how he looked in Seattle, like in his prime. Um, but I think it's going to help as far as conditioning. And I think it shows a focus when guys go out and they put together off seasons where they come back in fantastic shape. I think it shows their focus. I think Russ sometimes get ca- gets caught up in the lights and, you talk about the reports of stuff he does on the plane or teammates having to get in touch with him through a representative. And I think Russ sometimes, I think he got a little bit of the big head. I think he got some humble pie last year. Mm-hmm. And I think he's got one of the great quarterback coaches in the game and Sean Payton to help fix him. Because Sean Payton is a no-nonsense, accountable kind of guy. Russ is not going to want to run over on those sidelines after having a horrible possession. So I think he's got a guy that's going to help him. 203 made the point. Doesn't Sirianni come from under Frank Reich? Yeah, he does, but sometimes a student outdoes the teacher. Sometimes, and he's had enough success with Philadelphia the last couple of seasons, especially with the big-time success. Like, we're talking about a very close game in the Super Bowl against Kansas City, which is just a monster out there in the AFC with Pat Mahomes, with Andy Reid, a coaching legend, right? Not just a good one now, but has been a good coach for quite some time. And for you to put up that type of game plan to do that good of a job, develop Jalen Hurts, I have no problem putting Sirianni in the top five. All right, time for the first Fitty Flash of the day. What you got, Fitty? It's all right to be a little Fitty. A little hometown or a big old city. Might as well share, might as well smile. Life goes on for a little Fitty. All right, boys. After Monday's incident at Charlotte Motor Speedway involving Chase Elliott and Denny Hamlin, yesterday afternoon, NASCAR has suspended Chase Elliott 
for this week's race at St. Louis. They'll look at this to see whether this is a flagrant. Man, that, that was scary. I don't, even, I don't even know if I want to see that again. You've got to think that's going to be a flagrant. The question is, is it a one or a two? I got to be careful when it comes to Denny Hamlin. He is the first and only guy that made me dump myself on the radio. But after he got wrecked in the Coca-Cola 600, he claimed that Chase Elliott threw a temper tantrum, and that's what he does. This is the same guy that admitted on his podcast earlier this year, I wrecked a guy because I knew I wasn't going to win. And he's the one throwing tantrums. I'm a fan of the nine car. I'm not going to back down and say that I'm not a Chase Elliott fan. But why the hell would he purposely wreck a car that would take his car out of the race in the longest race of the year in the second stage when his car was just coming to life? He finally got towards the front of the pack. It doesn't make any sense. And who is Denny Hamlin? A guy that's won a bunch of races, but never a championship. The guy that NASCAR will cower to and let him get away and do whatever the hell he wants over a guy in Chase Elliott that's the most popular driver in the sport and has won a championship. I don't understand it. He may have wrecked him. It may have been on purpose. But that doesn't mean that he <laughs> no should way. have gotten parked when Denny Hamlin's wrecked guys on purpose, Kyle Busch has wrecked guys on purpose, Ross Chastain has wrecked half the field on purpose, and those guys ain't been sat for a week. It's idiotic. This is good for the sport, the drama. It's got us talking about it. They need to build off of it. It's stupid. I think your voice is wrecked <laughs> after that foul line appearance. Um... I will go to, I was listening to Kyle Bailey, listening to Smoke. Smoke was a big-time fan of this move because of the way that it does endanger the sport. Brian McGee, he tweeted out on at ESPN McGee, said there's only one racing rule you never break. You don't hook anyone in the right rear, period. Others have done it harder, been way more obvious, and traveled way further across the track to do it than Elliott on Monday night. But it's still a hook. Suspension warranted. What say you on the one rule in NASCAR that was broken here because if that's the rule and also I am a fan of just go ahead and avoiding the danger, the unnecessary danger with all of the danger that comes with this sport in general anyway if there's anything unnecessary, I have no problem with what I like the Rex, but uh, you do have to keep the sport safe. 100%. Yeah, I mean, look, when when Ross Chastain has wrecked people the way he's wrecked people and hasn't been punished, Hamlin's admitting to wrecking guys because he knew he wasn't going to win the race, and there's no suspension for that. Like, they're blatantly wrecking people, but because he right-hooked them and he broke the unwritten rule that warrants a suspension, it's coward behavior out of NASCAR. Mm, okay, all right. NASCAR cowards for making the game safer a little uh, bit more. That's Josh Fitty Marlowe on the foul line. By the way, we did get some crucial Bojangles information. Not good. They do have it. They are gravy biscuits. Mm -hmm. Gravy biscuits are the real thing. People are saying it's not biscuits and gravy. Gravy biscuits. We dissect that. Coming up next, Wesson Walker, <laughs> Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. -ba -ba -ba. 
Preston Walker Show, Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. And Charlotte FC Major League Soccer is now in season. And the WFNZ Jack Daniels Doghouse is open for business. The doghouse doors will open up three hours before every home match. So stop by and get ready for kickoff with some of your favorite friends. Join us for the pregame and postgame parties at the Jack Daniels Doghouse. Coming to you live from the Audi Charlotte studio and brought to you by Jack Daniels, Pepsi, and powered by the Garage Door Guru text line. Only from Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ, the exclusive home of the Charlotte sports fan. Don't forget to check out those socials, the WFNZ Twitter and Instagram. Check out the Wesson Walker Twitter. West Guy Range on Twitter and Instagram. Walker Mail on Twitter and HTB underscore Josh on Twitter and Instagram. We got some great uh, behind-the-scenes content every single day, every hour. You can check out Fitty Snack Selections, all kinds of stuff today. So now it's time to go to the campus. Kona. All right, so the SEC coaches are at it again, and one of the biggest topics is the nation's toughest football conference and what they will do with their schedule starting next season when Texas and Oklahoma join the fray to make it a 16-team league with no divisions. The options are sticking with an eight-game slate but shifting to one annual rivalry game instead of the current two or going to the nine games with three annual rivals. The SEC has been trying to figure this out for more than a year. Eli Drinkle has had a pretty funny comment about it and said he was a history teacher by trade and he was blown away by the fact that the 13 colonies actually formed a union, but we can't agree on an eight or nine game schedule. Kirby Smart said it's the most overrated conversation in the world and it was mixed opinions, but none of the coaches were committal as far as choosing one side or the other. So what do we think about this? as far as the SEC and them being indecisive on what they want to do with their schedule. Just what do we think they should do or what the indecision? Just that and just the coaches in general and what they think and all that stuff. All right, all of it. All of it, all all of it. Yeah, I think if you look at what ESPN would call the most glaring example, Texas A&M having played Georgia just once since joining the SEC in 2012, the Aggies are still awaiting a visit to College Station by the Bulldogs. This is just going to be a problem that's really hard to figure out when you become a super conference the way they are becoming. Now, Kirby Smart, he's the guy that did say that this conversation is entirely overrated and that you're going to be able to play, that he's talking about just different, uh, well, this is what he said, the most overrated conversation in the world, and it's the fact that they're going to be able to figure something out anyway And it's just going to be a problem that I don't know if it's going to be able to be decided on. Okay, this is the 100% best way to go about it because of all of the conferences or excuse me, all of the schools that are coming to the SEC. It's just going to be really tough. I I do like that Kirby Smart is very different from Mac Brown when Kirby Smart is like, I don't care about this schedule. But Mac Brown is like, I hate the schedule. The schedule is really tough for us. I feel like Mac Brown could take a page from the uh, Kirby Smart book, one or the other. Yeah, Nick Saban said his deal has always been to play more SEC games because they couldn't get more people to schedule so now I think there are more people who are willing to schedule so having balance is probably most important so those were thoughts from the big dog of the SEC so well just real quickly with Kirby he did say four years you play everybody home and away said smart and then he says I get the traditional rivalries you have three you have two you have one you have this you have that 
you guys need something to write about bad when you start talking about this because he does think four years you play everybody home and away. So, like, eventually it takes care of it in a large sample size, but I think people do have a problem with the timing because every team changes one year for another, sure. and then you want to make sure that you're getting the best matchups possible and having some kind of consistency, which is going to be really hard to do when you welcome all these teams. Yeah, and so that's an interesting point that you bring up because the team's changing year to year, especially with NIL. So Eli Drinkwitz also had a lot to say about about this and it was pretty funny. Let's see what he had to say. We see uh, issues in gambling arising. What's your approach with your team about that issue? And is there an element of surprise or was that just kind of inevitable in your mind? Uh, I don't know. Is he on a train? Y'all really are trying to get me in trouble here. <laughs> um, <clears throat> There's just not enough. I mean, we're trying to give... Actually, Deion Sanders had a really good quote the other day talking about young men that are uh, joining a business, but we want to treat them like kids. Um, we're giving guys 18, 19, 20, 21, 22-year-old life-changing money. People are making more money in NIL than my brother-in-law, who's a pediatrician who saves lives. Uh, and we kind of do it cavalier. Yeah. And we think that there's not going to be any side effects or there's not going to be issues. I mean... Um, there's information out there. There's bad actors out there always trying to make a dollar. They're involved um, in running around campuses trying to gather information. Like I, I think it's probably gonna, it's going to become one of the key issues uh, that we face in our locker rooms. All right. So, I mean, this is my first time hearing this, but I kind of take a little bit of issue with him saying that. About the pediatrician? Yeah, I mean, yeah, come on, fam. Like, do. get out of here with this. Anytime <laughs> there's young black men getting rich and making money, there's always somebody that has something to say about it and why it's a problem. And so his comparison, why he might not have tried to say point blank that it was problematic, but who cares what your brother does? Who cares that these kids are making more money than your brother? And I felt like that was a slick, underhanded comment by him uh, to say such a thing. So I'm not I'm not feeling that at all. And so when I'm talking about how come in other sports, the 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 up on the golf, tennis, how come it's not gonna be a mental issue for these kids when they're making money at 14, 15, 16? It's always young black athletes that when money gets involved and when they don't have to go to traditional process or when they don't have to take the long way, it's always some type of caveat with it. And so now, like, the mental health issues, I'm anxious to hear this Joe Clap bite, but it's like, come on, guys. Like, every time, there's always got to be something. Sure, there's going to be some damaging side effects. We know this. But now it's this huge problem because you guys have to give up this money to these young athletes. And I know there are positives and negatives to everything. But Eli Drinkowitz needs to sit down somewhere. Nobody cares that your brother, what he does, and who makes more money than him. Stop it. This is sports. We know capitalism is king in this country. Let these young men make money. We don't need to know your comparison and what you think about Well, it. the most important part about all of this, my number one takeaway, is the lack of self-awareness. Sure. This is the big problem with the comment. The fact that here he is talking about how players are getting paid more than his brother, who's a pediatrician, sure. who saves lives. All right. So I went to ZipRecruiter, and I looked up <laughs> the average salary per state for a pediatrician. And I just went to Missouri, the school that Eli Drinkwitz is coaching at. And the average annual salary for a pediatrician in Missouri, it's $160,000. 160. Eli Drinkwitz is making $6 million on an increasing contract year after year after year every single season. 
And so here he is talking about some of the athletes making more than his brother who's out here saving lives. What kind of, what kind of lives are you saving, Eli? Yeah. Like $6 million? <laughs> the coach of mediocre thing. I, I hope you're helping your brother out since you care so much. <laughs> I, hope, I wonder how much money are you giving him 20% of your paycheck because you're a man of the people. Sure. You care about these occupation saving lives not that's what you said yeah. so i really wonder how much money you're giving to your brother out here who is doing hero work <laughs> because you care so much the lack of self-awareness is hilarious and also not all that surprising because we've seen college football coaches do this time and time again all right so let's hear joe Klatt's comments really quickly about they're going to be mental health consequences i want to hear this in a lot of cases a lot of these cases the money that these kids make in the next year, two, or three will be greater annualized than any future year of their life. And that's there's there are some deep consequences to that. In particular, if their their identity and joy aren't attached to something more solid above money, which in our culture is so rare. And you know, I think that you're right. We, we are now. Does that mean I, I want to be very clear? I am not arguing that we should not have name, image and likeness. There are players that deserve to, to make name, image and likeness dollars. But when you're throwing from a collective half a million dollars at a player that may or may not ever pan out. And then that player's highest earning years of his life become when he's 18 and 19. Boy, there's going to be some serious consequences from a mental health standpoint when he's 29, 30, 31, and 32. Well, yeah, there will be if he goes to college, doesn't get his degree, and goes on to do nothing in life. Sure, there will be mental health consequences there, but it's just ridiculous. Back to the points that I said before when he said this, but this is where we're at. And so you're telling me a kid that comes from humble, a humble background, getting money that can help his family out in the short term and kind of change their lives that this is there are going to be severe mental health consequences. There can be severe mental health consequences with anything that you do. My mom's a huge mental health advocate. I am as well. There's going to be huge mental health consequences whether they play in the NFL. If they go to the NFL and only play two years and have a, 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 a career-ending injury, there are a lot of different things that can cause mental health issues. So miss me with the talk about these kids getting the money that's going to help them out a lot in the short term. Yeah, when they're 29, 30, who, who the hell, who is Joe Klatt to sit there and say that, oh, this could be their highest making years of their life. Like, yeah, if they go to college and don't make something of themselves, don't get their degree, that's on them. If they don't make it to the NFL and don't make the money they want to make and don't get their degree, that's on them. I know we're up against the break. I guess we could come back and talk about this some more. And also Derek Brown uh, on the PFS, PFF interior defensive lineman list. This is the Wesson Walker Show Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ, and we are angry.